So uh, David Gonzalez is a serial networker and has figured out how to monetize his network without cannibalizing it, with actually making the relationships even more beautiful, which is something I'm super excited to dig into and learn about. And as you just saw in the intro, David is a really, really big proponent of destigmatizing conversations around trauma, and which has given me a whole lesson on like the levels of trauma you actually can you really quickly explain the levels for them oh well just the first level would be just someone who's trauma aware that understands that trauma is a thing that everyone has trauma and that there's different types of trauma that they have trauma you have trauma their parents have everyone has it but that's about you know that's kind of the gist of it trauma informed is someone who understands the nuances of trauma the different types of trauma they understand that it's basically a nervous system response and that a nervous system is either, is either regulated or unregulated. And when our nervous system is unregulated, it's because our nervous system res is responding to something, to some danger uh, or some, some lack, uh, something that happens too fast, too soon, or not enough for too long. And uh, so then that's in the moment. But after that experience, if someone uh, experiences anything that even remotely reminds the nervous system of that experience, it'll create a similar response and that causes dysregulation or an unregulated nervous system, mm -hmm. which can look a lot of different ways. And so that's someone who's trauma informed and they know that something even as relatively benign as meditation can be very dangerous because if someone has enormous amounts of uh, complex unresolved trauma and you put them into a really effective meditation program it can allow them to access that unresolved trauma and they can royally dysregulate in a point where they re-traumatize and it causes it's kind of it could be i could kind of see how that would pretty. happen yeah and then someone who's trauma trained as a trauma expert um they know they know multiple modalities on how when someone is dysregulated how to guide them through gently compassionately and with with care and impeccability how to move them over back to being regulated and how to how to train themselves how to you know move past that so that they can close that loop and move into a more fulfilling life yeah beautiful so if you don't mind, let me give a very concrete example for anyone who's watching this, who's maybe like the whole trauma conversation is a very big thing right now. And I feel like it's really coming to the forefront in mm. all the podcasts, all the books, all the documentaries that are coming out. There's a lot of conversation about these things, yeah. especially with the legalization coming up of like these different substances like uh, psychedelics. Yeah, psychedelics and all of this, right? So something for me would be uh, I got jumped a lot as a kid. I got heavily bullied. And I had no idea that there was anything going on with me about it. I'm a very happy person. I've pretty much always been a very happy person, even like days following something like getting jumped, even if there were bones broken, right? So that being said, when I was something like 26 or 27, I started traveling the world. And outside of America, there's a lot of places you can go where there's like huge crowds of people. And I always didn't like crowds of people, even here, but it wasn't really a big thing. I could always avoid it. In other countries, I could not avoid it. So I'd get on the train in Japan and there'd be so many people around me that I would start to get this, like, I would never act on it, but I always had this thing in my head where I literally at any given time knew how I could break bones of like the nearest 10 people around me. Like that was just something that I thought that was like, just cause I, I had been an MMA fighter, an amateur fighter. So I thought that this was like a normal thing. Wow. And then it was years later where I was like, <laughs> I was talking to other people and traveling with them. And I was like, do you guys ever 
like think about this and they were like no are you <laughs> kidding and i didn't realize that that was a weird thing and then i had like a couple experiences and one of them it was like the next day i was walking around i was in a crowd and i suddenly didn't feel like i needed to hurt anyone and i had never done it in a crowd before but that feeling was i don't want to say gone but it was like 90 percent diminished my you know situational awareness calmed down and suddenly i was like oh i'm not aware of the seven nearest people and how much of a threat they are to me like that's not a thing anymore so it was a wow. very weird experience to like have something that seemed normal which is what trauma is yet like a lot of people think their like thing is normal and then once you start talking about trauma it response yeah because that's a big distinction the trauma experience mm -hmm. the event mm -hmm. the occurrence even if it was a lack of something developmentally is the actual trauma experience the trauma response is what you're referring to that mm -hmm. normalizes later so people who are shooting heroin because they don't want to feel a certain way they don't want to address something that's normal to them yeah yeah so keep yeah going. yeah yeah and then suddenly oh yeah let's go ahead and flip this for you this is a one hour hourglass everyone i'll bring it up occasionally and so you can see how far in we are so yeah i thought it was a normal thing and suddenly it was no longer normal and i was like wow i really need to look at that i had no idea and sure. how much how many ways that could potentially be affecting like my ability to focus or hyper focus right yeah. or not be able to focus all sorts of things like that so i still actually have no idea how many different ways that's affected me because that was more of a recent thing that happened but there's also some great skills and some great things that have come from that so now mm -hmm. it's interesting i have the ability to turn that on and off where if I want to Love be very it. situational aware, and sometimes when you're when you're filming in like risky areas, that's a great skill to have and to know like which street to turn down and which person you can talk to and which person you can't talk to. And I, like I'm way more sensitive, I think, to like people's aggressive energy because of it too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's also maybe why I can help people like turn their energy really quickly because I I know how to like uh, stabilize a situation because of those wow. different experiences. So it's, it's just really interesting. So that being said, yeah. this is kind of like laying the bricks sure. of like, that's what trauma is. So go ahead and like really quickly catch me up on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spin it and then bring it back to this. So spinning it, what do you do? Like, who are you in the world right now? Because even I'm not exactly yeah. clear on that, yeah. but I think they would they would want to know. Sure. So, are you talking like professionally or like because? Uh, Let's go through like categories, maybe like professionally okay. and then like personally. Like, yeah. what's your what's your life like? Who do you live with? All those good juicy sure. things, and then we can we can talk about some other fun stuff. Sure. So, professionally, um, I was fortunate enough to have structured a couple of deals early on with some startups that made it to where uh, their growth became, uh, I became a beneficiary to that. Um, so financially and, and professionally, I kind of stayed connected to the digital marketing net, uh, community uh, because, uh, you know, they're kind of endorsement deals that make it to where, you know, my, my being relevant in the marketplace, my voice, my influence in the marketplace is important but I don't have like a job or a day-to-day -day or I do run the internet marketing party, which in September of this year, 2021, it'll be 13, 13 years of doing it every single month, mm -hmm. which is basically a business happy hour networking event where we bring a speaker into a bar. There was no pitching or selling. And the afternoon of that party, 
I asked the speaker a few months beforehand what their biggest challenge in business is, and then I curate eight to 10 experts in a closed door board of advisors think tank type scenario. I am an uh, EO alum. Uh, oh, oh, sweet, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So our, I, I basically modeled EO forum mm -hmm. and, and took it into, you can't pay to get in this room. You can only be invited. And then the speaker gives us permission to tell them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And we uh, all agree that what happens in that room stays in that room. So the all the experts benefit because they each get to, they're all like, you know, we've had speakers that say, hey, I'm, I'm wanting to ramp up my paid traffic efforts. Uh, and so why I'd like to only have people in the room that are spending a million dollars a month in paid advertising. And so I'll bring eight to 10 people that are just, you know, monsters in the, in the paid ad space. And they all get to benefit because they all get competitive about sharing. Of course, the best of course, of course. And so I've been doing that for so 10 years. So it's fun years. for them. It's good for mm -hmm. the person. And so it's just really beautiful. If, if I had to say what I do professionally, even now, is I get paid to, to, to bring very talented people together uh, in a way that I, my, my reputation in the marketplace is Dave's super connected and people trust him, people like him because for uh, me being, you know, just a, I, I'm just, a, I'm, I'm the kind of person that, that will, that will sacrifice my own profitability for relationship. Um, of course. And a lot of people, you know, I've left millions of dollars on the table because it wasn't okay with me unless I knew that I was in the right. There's been a couple of situations where there's some people that would probably say, well, that didn't resonate with them. But I think there, there's a fine line between someone wanting to take advantage. Like, don't, don't mistake my kindness for, what is that saying? Don't mistake my kindness for, for stupidity or something like something that. Something like, like that. Yeah, but like, that, that doesn't mean I'm just gonna let you step over me. Yes. When I know that I did the work, and you paid somebody else on the team that didn't bring traffic more than you paid me. When my commissions are due, they're due. Yep. You know, so then if, tell me yeah. about this. How did this all begin? Yeah. So, so you did the couple startup deals yeah. that you super benefited from. So you weren't financially in like a bind where you needed to make something happen. So you had this great opportunity to create something. Tell me about the story of creating this like internet marketing party and oh, that, this that, whole idea. That, that happened because I used to run a million dollar a year hypnotherapy business for nine years. I had a staff of 12. And uh, at one point, the marketing channel stopped working as well as it once did. We used to run full page ads in the, in the Austin American Statesman, our local newspaper. And those were very expensive and it worked until it stopped working. And uh, one day I realized that it, I was not passionate enough about figuring out how to make it, you know, come how to revive that business. So I chose to either close it or sell it, whichever came first. And we started selling programs that were limited to the amount of months that we would be open. And I sold that business by the skin of my teeth. And that was in about 2006. And at the time I was like, well, like I have money and time. And so I was looking around and I was got into real estate, but in 2008 happened. And then I decided, you know, how much did you put into real estate from what you had made? Like oh, a lot? no, it was more like I got into real estate as a realtor because I didn't, oh, okay. I didn't make okay. it. I didn't make so it. So it didn't crush you. No, because our, our, our business was trending downward 
and uh you know anyone in their right like it, we were very lucky to have sold it um it was it was it was on a very steep downward trajectory so whenever i got into uh real estate right before the 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 big crash in 2008 it was not pretty and i was looking around and i saw a friend of mine who was running the hypnosis network which is doing you know four or five million a year uh selling hypnosis cds and i asked him if he would coach me because i had read tim ferris's four-hour work week and he got me you know up, up to speed put me in touch with some people that basically connected me to all the big people big players in the you know, for the Frank Kern and Yannick Silver and Ryan Dice and Perry Belt, like all. And this is 2010? You know, like 2009. Okay. Yeah. And I became an affiliate manager for these two guys named Kevin Wilkie and Matt Gill at Nitro Marketing. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, they gave me all of these people's contact info. And because I had money and time, I'd show up at these parties and stuff in my BMW 7 Series with top shelf tequila and mixers and and they were like what do you do and i'd be like um oh, you know just a little a few things and they thought i was being aloof because i didn't want them to know about the millions i was raking in in different niches because as you know you can reverse engineer niches you tell people what you're doing and all of a sudden you've got competition mm -hmm. what they didn't know is that i wasn't really doing anything i was just trying to figure out what i would do next and so they kept inviting me to more and more and more parties and the next thing i know uh, I looked up one day and I realized that I was $130,000 worth of personal unsecured debt. Oh. And so at that point I had already started running internet marketing party because I was going, I was starting to go to affiliate summit and traffic and conversion summit and all these different marketing conferences. And I'd see that, you know, me and Michael Lovich were like, we'd be hanging out at the bar where the business is being done, but we'd notice that, wait, when, when we poke our head in to see the speaker, who they were on stage versus who they were when they joined us at the bar were two completely different people. And it was kind of annoying. It's like, dude, why don't you just be you? So we said, like, let's start hosting an event in a bar, bring a speaker in, like a 20-minute TED Talk style thing. We did it a month, two, three months. It was fun. We started recording the videos of it, and one, one year became five, became 10, and now it's almost 13 years but it was basically because we were living in Austin and it was a hotbed of digital marketers and it just kept going and going and one day that day that I realized I was so so broke and in debt a friend pulled me aside and he said why don't you just do affiliate JV deals and I was like huh I was just in such a bad spot that I couldn't see it and so I put a couple people together and made some money on override of commissions and kept doing that and then started an agency and I started another agency and then, you know, just kept going from there. Wow. Okay. So, you know, the whole MO of like season two is two seconds of courage, mm -hmm. right? And there's these moments in life where you're 51% yeah. scared, 49% excited, and then it starts to tip and then you're suddenly 51% excited, 49% scared. And that's when people end up taking the plunge into some big, big moment in their life. Yeah. I feel like buried in this story must be like 18 of those mm. different moments. Like, like, I mean, I'm not saying this is a story you have to tell, but I'm thinking like the moment that you walked in to go meet these like Titans back then. Yeah. And the, the intro, I mean, these guys are basically the progenitors of digital marketing right back then like frank kern like these characters right matt gill like all these crazy people 
where when you went in to go meet them for the first time and just say like, oh, I just do a couple things, just trying to get this networking built up to host the first internet marketing party, right? Like to actually put that together. So my question for you is, for for all the the viewers and listeners, what what do you think has been the biggest like two seconds of courage moment through like your life thus far that's led you to becoming this like network? Um well the one the biggest ones that shows up for me when you when you first told me that I was gonna it wasn't that era. It was actually within the last six months. Mm, tell me, tell me. So I'm I've never told this story publicly, but when I was a little when I was about four years old, I was raised Catholic. And my mom one day I said to her, Mom, why is Jesus so famous? You know, why is he such a big deal? I was genuine. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand why we went to church. It didn't make any sense to me. It was boring. I didn't get it. I, it, we had to, I had to wear uncomfortable clothes. I just did not understand. It did not compute. Like, and she said, well, because he died for our sins. And I was like, he died for, like, I don't, what, what is that? She said, yeah, we're all born with, with uh, original sin. And, and he died on the cross so that we could be washed from those sins and i was like i remember feeling this enormous sense of guilt and pressure that i didn't tell her about and that in that moment i realized why is he famous because i would die for my family never mind my community never mind the whole world my brain made this connection that if Jesus die is he famous like I don't want to have to die for everybody but I would but like I don't want to even put this even at that age I kind of had this sense that if I spoke that that it would be real and so I just like but in that moment I had this realization that I came here to do something really big like at the Jesus perspective big and I just kind of buried it but as I've been growing up and growing up and growing up I've always had this sense that I'm supposed to do something big. And as I started getting into my teens and 20s and 30s, I, people would ask me like, you know, what's your superpower? Or what, if you had to do one thing, what would it be? And I used to say, to put a significant dent in the amount of stupidity on, on the planet. And then one day a, a very astute mentor said to me, well, come on, like, like, in, like if, I, if you were talking to a CFO, what would that look like? And I said, Okay, it would be to put a significant dent in the amount of unnecessary suffering for humans. And that's kind of, and, I, and I've always been a big fan of Buckminster Fuller. And his mission was to make the world work for 100% of humanity through spontaneous cooperation without ecological offense or harm of anyone. And when I read that and heard that, it was like, and he had already died by the time I read that. And I just realized like, I'm gonna make his mission reality. And like, this was something I was a, a private, intimate, like conversation I had with myself and a commitment I made to myself. And so when people over the last 15 years have said, David, why are you building this network? Why are you building this community? You're connected to billionaires, people worth hundreds of millions, people worth millions, pe like people that are super influential and like you give so much and you take so little. And that's how kind of how I ended up in that big debt situation. And that's why, and, but I never told anybody cause it just felt really intimate and private. I and mean, it, it was just, uh, uh, I just didn't. 
And then one day, a friend of mine named Bella Verita, you might know her, she was she texted me out of the blue and said, hey, I was doing a meditation today and you clearly popped up in my mind that you're going to do something really big, like bigger than Jeff Bezos. And my reply was like, basically kind of like, I know. <laughs> and she said, I think she was surprised by that. And she goes, what? What are you going to do? And I told her about this mission and she goes, oh my God, that's huge. Why have I never heard you talk about this? And then I realized, well, maybe it's time. And this was in the midst of COVID. So I started, I reached out to a handful of friends of mine that are futurists, that are really forward thinking, that have made a lot, like had a lot of financial success, a lot of influential success. Without telling them why I was asking, I just said, I pasted the quote and I put it in a text and I said, what do you think about this quote? And all of them replied, something to the effect of i think it's bullshit i think it's unrealistic i don't think it would work i think it's idealistic but you know how like all these and it crushed me it would be almost like if i made a piece of art and we're looking at this art here and i didn't tell you i did it and i said what do you think of that piece of art and you're mm -hmm. like oh that's mm -hmm. gross Ugh. and i was really proud of it and so it swirled me out of for a that like hype and that like upward trajectory yeah. of excitement and yeah. all of a sudden I started to notice that I didn't have a mission anymore and I started feeling depressed and I started feeling oh, what's the point of connecting people and of building my network. I did, started feeling lethargic and this was right in the midst. This was like in COVID. May, yeah, right in the beginning. COVID. Uh, mm. and, but business was going well and so it was this weird... Uh, and so I started reaching out to people in my network that were visionary leaders and people that were good at vision. And uh, they started giving me advice. I would go take them to lunch or get on calls. And one of these individuals is a guy named Shannon Graham, who is a coach. Uh, and he, he, he basically works with second summiters, people who have had big exits and they could sail off into the horizon. But one day they wake up and they have a giant sense of anxiety that like their job ain't done and they've got to mm -hmm. do something mm -hmm. more. And they don't know what it is because now they don't have to. And so he works with a lot of those folks and one of his clients like increase the GDP of, of New Zealand single-handedly. I'll tell you more about that. But we, I called him and we connected and I chatted with him about what I was up to. And by the end of that phone call, he said, wow, you seem like a perfect fit for a client. And I was just wanting, I have so many friends that just kind of, I'm so, 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 so I have so many friends that are influential and coaches and speakers and big lists and big audiences that a lot of times they just hang out with me like a buddy yeah and at the end of that phone call he he said you know that i like i would be a perfect fit for his client and he knew he, that he could help me and it was going to be a hundred and fifty thousand dollars to work with him and i was like did did he just say that to me like like I'm so used to people like offering me free invites to masterminds that are tens thousands of dollars, giving me hookups to this, that pre-programs, free train. Like I just kind of got used to it, you know? And when he said that, like I asked him a bunch of questions that every answer he had was perfect. And he was, he was pulling things out of my energetic, emotional experience that, he was saying things and would catch me before I could fall and mm -hmm. asked me to mm -hmm. borrow from his confidence. And I was like, 
dude, that's more money than my starter home. That's more money than I'm currently making. That's more like, and he goes, yeah, I know. And within that one phone call, I decided to do it without even asking my wife. And the moment I said yes. What was the thing? What did he say you needed to do? Who was the person? What do you mean? So what was the $150,000 thing? Just to work with him for a year. Oh, to work with him? Yeah. Okay. He basically pitched me on working with him. Wow. As a second summiter. Yeah. Even though, but like that's, that's his specialty. But he, he was like, David, your vision for what you want to create in the world, like you're who I specialize in. And I'm like, dude, but I'm not making that kind of money. Like to be able, like I can't justify this. And he said, I understand, but we'll make it happen. And I said, what percentage of the clients that you've worked with don't end up working out? And he goes, in the last seven years, none. And I was just like, Ugh. so wait, wait, so you're telling me you spent $150,000 on coaching that in that moment with from in one phone call. Okay. And that what happened? My, Let's go. What happened after that? It's making me nervous even now. Yeah. Like, yeah. What happened? I've never really talked about it. Um, what happened, especially because I have other friends that are coaches. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, I mean, for a coach, like I mean, I don't know if coaches, I'm like sweating a little bit now. <laughs> Yeah, because I have friends that I've I've never told about this mm -hmm. because I just did it. But this is where truth, the trauma uh, movement came from. I didn't oh. have that before. And my financial breakthrough came after I hired him. Okay, okay. C continue so the like, story. Continue the story. Yeah, so, so this was a two seconds know? of courage moment. Yeah. because That is a huge moment. <laughs> Whoa. That is really, yeah, that's really intense. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't even talk to my wife about it. Yeah. Literally, the moment I said yes, the sky turned a color of blue I had never seen before. The leaves on the trees turned so green. Like, and one of the things he shared with me is like, he said, you know, you're investing in you. Like, sure you're you're gonna give me the money but this is you and i just did it and i i didn't sleep well for like almost a month of so much stress so much anxiety but it was like he kept coaching me through it and walking me through it and giving me different homework experiences homework exercises that i would do and yeah what does a hundred fifty thousand dollar coaching thing look like like how often do you talk once a week once a week and yeah. how long is that time once a week uh, an hour okay it's an hour yeah. once a week yeah. and he's giving you homework and stuff yeah okay yeah and then what and happened from I mean, there he's available at other times but we have i mean of course yeah, yeah yeah you have one set hour a week yeah and or questions but and whatnot. that was well, the moment you told me that this was good there would be a moment you would ask me the two seconds of courage because it happened really quick and it was one of the biggest decisions i like even asking my wife to marry her like it that wasn't two seconds it that was something i took months months to mm -hmm. think about like when you said two seconds of courage this there have been a lot seconds, of things yeah. that were that big that in a very very small window i said i'm in i'm doing this yes i'm so excited so what happens next so you sign up you don't sleep very well for like a month he's coaching you through like mm -hmm. dealing with that and also starting and to dream up 
yep. what this huge thing you, you feel inside of you is. Yeah. And this is the area that starts getting a little bit like woo woo or metaphysical, but like, let's go. As soon as I made that decision, like there was no way f I had nothing lined up for that money to come. But interestingly enough, we got an, a, a gigantic tax return and I've never gotten a tax return and it cleared off a big chunk of that. Mm -hmm. Like, so it was like, what? And then the next month, this endorsement deal started paying out more than my, than my, uh, monthly expenses. So my, I a went, brand new deal or something that was already working, but just kicked up something that was already that kicked up. Yep. But I, let's put it this way. As soon as that happened, I started focusing more on money because as you know, in business, once you break profit, then it's all gravy. So I was like, Ooh, this is cool. And at that point I had already decided that I was going to focus on truth. The truth is the movement, which is trauma resolution until truth heals. And that's when the money breakthrough happened. And as soon as I started focusing on money, the money started to dry up. And I heard a voice that said, Hey fucker, I didn't give you this money so you could focus on money. I gave it to you so you could focus on humanity and on truth. And I was like, got it, got the message. And as soon as I did that, the money started to flow again. So now I'm writing a book uh, called The Truth About Problems, which is basically the whole premise of this movement is that all of our solvable uh, social problems from sex trafficking to government corruption to systemic racism to addiction to homelessness to preventable diseases, they all have three common causes. They, things in common. One, they either have a victim or a perpetrator or both. And those victims or perpetrators have some form of unresolved trauma. And so until it's beautiful and noble to build homeless shelters. It's beautiful and noble to build uh, orphanages. It's beautiful and noble to put people in prison when they've raped a young child. Those are important things, but those are not solutions. As Eric, one of your previous guests talked about, he healed himself not by using medicine, which is a, it addresses symptoms and and um, and like it, it doesn't it doesn't actually address resolve the problems prob the actual root cause or prevention. And so when I saw that we're never going to solve these problems unless we get to the root of these problems, which is unresolved trauma. But we're not going to do that unless we can talk about it. And we can't talk about it because it makes us uncomfortable. And it makes us uncomfortable because we think, well, I'm the only one that has it. But the reality is everyone has it. Everyone has unresolved trauma. Some of us are just better at dealing with it than others. And some of us have naturally resolved it, kind of like you shared with your, you know, I can't wait at another time to learn what happened that allowed you to naturally resolve that to where you went from everyone within seven feet of you knowing how to break 10 bones. To, yep. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, that that's, that's 
that answers your question about where who I am professionally. Tells you something about who I am personally. I've been married for 23 years. Uh, we have a 19-year-old daughter. We've been together for 25 years. Um, uh, what are the other questions? That let's let's dig into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. beautiful. So, yeah. oh man, so you. I have a ton of questions. Let's let's go straight into this one though. When we're talking about trauma, and you know, I shared my seven foot thing. What's what is a way so that people can understand? Like, if yeah. there's uh, the three levels, right? Where that first level is like you're aware that everybody has trauma. This is very important for people to understand, right? It's like mm -hmm. all of us need to understand that everyone's got something. Like there's nothing every, to be ashamed. Yeah, about. everybody on the planet's got something. In your experience, like let's say before this was a major topic of conversation for you, what is something that people might experience if they don't understand that? Like how is that gonna affect oh, a relationship easy. or a friendship? Easy, or... first of all, and this is why some people have already started donating money, is uh, a friend of mine named Chris Daigle. He, I shared with him what I'm up to and he sent me money because he said, Dave, this has changed how I look at my fellow man. People that I thought of earlier as lazy, as ignorant, as stupid, as bullheaded, as morons, jackasses, I now look at as with compassion. And what did you do that made him All I did that? is I explained to him what I did with you just now. Oh, and that, that triggered connected, that response That for connected him. for him that like, oh my God, A, everyone has it. B, when they do have it, they're going to respond in like homeless people aren't lazy or dumb or bad. Homeless people have massive amounts of a complex trauma that lead to addiction and or mental illness. When you resolve those complex traumas, which is a lot of work and it's not fun and it's not easy, but no one's even focusing on that because no one wants to talk about it. 30 years ago, there was a study done by Kaiser Permanente and the CDC, Center for Disease Control, called the ACE study. And ACE stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. And what they found was that there's a direct correlation according to these questions that you ask a child how many of these adverse childhood experiences they have that will directly correlate with them either getting cancer, getting diabetes, getting heart disease, wow. getting mental illness, depression, OCD. Like it's direct. It's like the same way that you know people that smoke a lot of cigarettes or live next to a chemical plant or work with insecticides are going to get skin to cancer. Like you get a lot of, spend a lot of time in the sun without UV protection. You're going to get like that level of correlation. Wow. And that was over 30 years ago. But from the look of recognition, it doesn't sound like you've ever heard of this study. Never. And if you've not heard of it, that probably means there's not any money being poured into it. The reason I believe that's the case is that with, when it comes to a homeless guy, an addict, a pervert, a corrupt politician, a whatever, an obese person, you can point the finger at them. But when it comes to trauma, adverse experiences, we've all dealt with them. So you can't just point the finger out and it's very uncomfortable. So until we overcome that discomfort, that anxiety, that, that low, low grade stigma, then none, none of this stuff's ever going to change. None of it. So, no one's talking about it. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. talking about trauma, but they're not making the connection that that's why we have the problems. We live in Austin. All those tents, 
Mm. Like all those homeless people, they're dealing with complex, unresolved trauma. So then let's let's go to something and, and very approachable, and then yeah, we're going to dig yeah. into the, the homelessness thing. Mm-hmm. How did there are oh, here while you're drinking? I'll show everybody our little clock here. Mm-hmm. So eh, round about halfway. Where did this what did this cause in your life? Mm-hmm. The the traumas that you had, like, yeah. what did they do to you? And then I'm assuming you've done some work around them. And how did that change how you like just are yeah. in the world? So how it, there's a few ways to, to are you asking like, what are some traumas that I have? Yeah. Or, and then what did they, how did that present in you? And then once you realize that, how did you change? So like, what were the ones you had? What were your like symptoms from them? Right. And then how did you deal well, with them? And I mean, then what are the I'll tell you one of the, one of the big ones that I remember is uh, my, both my parents were educators, but we lived along the Mexican border down in South Texas. What was the town? Um, Westlaco, Texas. Okay. Um, and um, my parents were, you know, like, like only my mom only had one brother that graduated high school and then, I mean, college. And then my dad, I think he's the only one that graduated and college. So there was a lot of poverty, uh, a lot of, um, you know, just like not a lot of real high level education. And I uh, lived kind of in the barrio. And my dad had bought me a piano and I would take piano lessons. And I loved going out to play with my neighborhood friends. But one day uh, when they came to knock on the door so that I could come, they're like, can David, you know, you'd knock on your friend, can, you know, can Skip come play? And are you, can Joey play? You'd go to their house and, mm-hmm. you know, you'd invite each other to go play outside. And when my parents said, uh, like, no, David's got to practice piano, um, later I, I, the window was open and I heard them call me a fucking faggot. And I stopped playing piano that day. How old were you? I was about five years old. Yeah. Five-year-old said that? Oh, no, these were like seven, eight. Oh, a little bit older. But like, older. you're in the yeah. barrio. Like, yeah. you're like... Wow. Wow. Yeah, and they said it in Spanish, which is even like there's in the Latino culture, it's like even, uh, yeah. And so that was that that was like, I was always the smallest boy. Uh, I'm five foot three, and so I was the smallest boy, even amongst my peers. I was often smaller than than even boys younger than me, and I was often smaller than the girls in my age group, um, and so. Another big trauma for me was just not getting the attention that I wanted from from my friend. Like they they they'd play certain sports, and the out when there was team pa- team picking, captain picking. Like I'd never get picked. And probably the biggest trauma of all was um, when my mom and dad started having pro- problems. They got divorced when I was when I was about seven. Uh, my mom uh, pitted me as a pawn to try and get my dad to stay because my dad was picking up, packing up his stuff and leaving the house. And she was sobbing and she pulled me into a room and said, uh, son, will you please, please, please go and get in your dad's truck and tell him not to leave. And he'll, he'll listen to you. He loves you. 
and I didn't want to do that. And I was, I was six years old. And, um, so I reluctantly did it. I went and said, dad, I was sobbing. And I said, please don't, don't leave. I don't want you to go. And he just looked down at me, put his hand on my shoulder and said, son, we can't always have what we want. And said, you know, please go inside and proceeded to drive off. And, you know, the really reason I can say this right now without crying is because I've done a lot of work on it. Um, I've done lots of different uh, types of, of, you know, I think that's why I ended up, I used to run an NLP training center and then I ran a hypnotherapy center and you know, I mean, these, these, like, this is many different instances, you know, like my, the first time I ever smoked marijuana was like, I was in kindergarten because my neighbors would blow it into my face. And, uh, like, so drug use was rampant around me. I was kind of a latchkey kid. My mom uh, went through a really tough time. She tried stir swerving the, the car with me and my infant brother, uh, to, into, the other side of the road to crash head on. We didn't actually crash, but she was threatening my father and his like mistress at the time. Well, we ended up in court where my mom had, you know, was being threatened with taking, getting custody of us. Like it was just a really like tumultuous. Yeah. yeah. And then my mom was just not very present for us because she was very much like always out and about hustling and getting stuff done and trying to yeah it was yeah it wasn't it wasn't an ideal childhood and I started drinking by the time I was 15 16 years old was you know that would drink pretty much every day after school um and we lived right along the Mexican border so every weekend I'd go and get smashed in in Mexico and like don't know how I survived any of that period of my life but you know lots and lots of just you know covering and masking up the lack of love the lack of intimacy the lack of good nutrition the lack of safety the lack of a beautiful nurturing family which by the way you know this is unfortunately pretty normal in this day and age so but that's not maybe not all of that is normal but yeah, no no of i mean the lack of like a nurturing intimacy yeah intimacy, nurture yeah, yeah yeah no i meant the, the the latter part of that definitely i was like well the other stuff oh yeah no, no but no. Yeah. so um but i've just i've done so many different things i've done lots of i've hired lots of you know uh been so, to lots of workshops yeah what was and, like the crux moment of like your maybe healing like what's the if there was like a tipping point what was like the thing because i know it to give people an idea like there's i'm sure there's a ton of context like you probably did so many things right to deal with this over the years and like you said you you ended up and this is the next story i want to get into is why you chose hypnotherapy and nlp because i'm sure it has to deal with a lot of this Hey everybody, I just wanted to let you know that there was a technical difficulty. It's the first time I'm using this new F6 Zoom recorder. Massive improvement for the show, especially for all the live recordings or on my end of the audio. So I hope you've enjoyed the episode up until this point and I apologize that now it's going to switch to the microphone that was on top of one of the cameras for the rest of the episode, but the content was just so good that I still wanted to share it. So I apologize to your eardrums. I've tried to clean up the audio as much as possible. But here we go with the rest of the show. But what's like the number one 
thing right now? Or maybe like top three things that you'd recommend people could look into mm. if they have shared aspects of this? Wow, I know, I know it's a big question. question. I know. Because I don't believe that there is a thing for everyone because in fact that's one of the things that I want that I'm working with truth on is to create kind of a matrix uh, whereby according to your financial uh, your economics what you can afford according to your pain threshold uh, and according to your ideological like if you're you know there's different methodologies and, and how available something is to you um, what I will say is that it's not always going to be therapy because that's cognitive and some of these trauma experiences are stored in the body and in the nervous system and if uh, a lot of psychotherapists and, and, and social workers and, and therapists are not necessarily trauma informed or trauma trained and not to say that they can't do some good it's better to do something but uh, sometimes some of these traumas can be triggering and, and re-traumatize people so Absolutely. um what would i, I so so let me let me yeah. maybe ask you a more specific question yeah sure for you what were the things that seemed to tip the scales because i love that answer of like it's really kind mm. of a smorgasbord a buffet but you need to be really specific with the things that you do so um maybe a pre-question a preface question would be how can people start if people have dealt with a lot of like serious trauma where can they find guidance on this now? I know that you're building mm -hmm. something, but if they need to, yeah. if they're feeling really inspired. I mean, I'd say look into the work of Peter Levine. Um, I'd say uh, Will Reason and Ariana Joy. Uh, they have got a really powerful program. What's it called? Um, it's called Somatics. Uh, some. Uh, Geez, uh, I'd need to look it up. Can we? Okay. Yeah, I'll put it in the. I'll put it in the notes. Yeah, uh, trauma and somatics, mm -hmm. I think, is what it's called. Um, but, I mean, I would say just get curious in the same way that like most people when they want to start an online business, just start. Don't don't commit to anything. Just start researching and reading and look at what pulls you, what resonates with you and not like cult of personality, not like an individual, but a message, mm -hmm. uh, not like an organization, but just start to see what, what are some common threads of like, Oh, this messaging, this type of, so then again, work. I'm so curious, like, how did you deal with well, all oh, that? Oh yeah, yeah. So like, what did you I mean, do? I've been stumbling my way in the dark. Uh, <laughs> I first started, um, I mean, I like my mom was really religious, so we had books on prayer. Then we had, uh, and then I started getting involved into like Norman Vincent Peale's like uh, like the uh, power of positive thinking. And, and how did you find him? Just uh, I was attracted to that kind of stuff because I I think I knew that this wasn't the way things were supposed to be. And how did you get out of that small town? Um, I moved to Austin. Actually, my mom ended up dying of breast cancer mm -hmm. and she had a life insurance policy. So she left, uh, you know, it wasn't an enormous amount of money, but it was enough for me to go and travel Europe for six months and then came back. And that's how I started my NLP training business. Cause I wanted to do something. I, 
I, I had just graduated when she passed away from university. Mm-hmm. And that's when I went to travel. And then I knew that NLP wasn't something that was, this was back over 25 years ago, uh, wasn't going to be a big hit in that little kind of border town. Um, so I moved to Austin, which is where I had started going to the university before she got cancer. And back then, Austin was like a village. Yeah. Yeah. Really? It was a small yeah, 200,000 maybe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, but even then it was up and coming. It had three universities uh, and it's always been kind of a progressive city. So um, I moved here. I always felt home here. And um, yeah, that was kind of like the, the I, I started, uh, I did, did a bunch of NLP training with a lot of different trainers. And then after that, I started my hypnotherapy business. So I did a lot of training in that as well. And I was, I was basically working with people every day. So it was like breadcrumbs. You were getting like a little bit better, a little yeah, bit better, a little bit better. And then once, well, it sounds like your whole life became about kind of resolving yeah, your own trauma. Yeah, it's funny because I was visiting a friend of mine the other day who started a Bitcoin bank. Like a like just a regular bank, but for bit so you could mm-hmm. get mortgages with it, and um, and we were having dinner, and he's they just had a, uh, their first kid that's ten months old, and I said, how many more kids are you gonna have? He goes, well, as many as I can. I want to have like six, <laughs> and my daughter's nineteen, and he goes, so you guys decided to stop at one, and I was like, there was something about the how enthusiastic mm-hmm. he was about having that many kids. And the way he asked me that it made, this was just like a month ago, that made me realize it stopped me in my tracks and I realized something I had never thought about. To me, having more than one child wasn't really an option based on the fact that I knew I wanted to escape the poverty cycle. And there was like this like escape velocity to escape orbit. And I didn't feel I had it in me to escape the poverty cycle without but with more than one, more, with more than one kid. I get that. I get that. And I had never thought about that until that was like a month ago. Mm-hmm. So, um, what, what, what did you ask that made you say that? Man, there's a lot going on here. I got a lot of questions for you now, like way more than I had uh, an hour ago. But the question I asked was like, how did you deal with your stuff? And now I'm piecing together like you. It sounds like, yeah, you've sort of orchestrated your whole life to being able to figure out not just like what was going on with you and how that wasn't normal, but maybe to start to already help other people way back, like right after university, you just were like, okay, I know how to deal with some of this stuff. So let me help other people deal with some of this stuff. And then it sounds like at some point you started to figure out, and here's a question for you. There's, of course, there's like nothing positive about trauma yet there are skills that you built because of it right you know i would push back against that statement there's a lot of very successful people yes, who their leaves their positive their trauma responses equal um some people didn't some men didn't get the approval or the love of their father and they are seeking it by becoming wildly successful mm-hmm. And the danger in that is when sometimes when they become wildly successful and their father dies before they can see it or their father's like, oh, that's cool because their father has is dealing with their own trauma responses and isn't capable of giving them the love, the approval or the intimacy that they seek. And so a lot of times people's 
success. Sometimes people are brutalized, bullied, or, or they're, they're, you know, beaten, uh, uh, you know, assaulted. And so they, or by the, by parents, family members, or, or peers or strangers, and then they become wor workout fiends and they're always working out and they're like, they're literally building a, a, an armor of protection so that no one will ever hurt me again. You, I mean, one thing I learned when I was running the hypnotherapy center, it was even before I understood trauma, like years and years before, was women would often talk about how their obesity was came after they were raped because it was a way for them to put a bear, a, a layer of protection over themselves that was not just physically, but it was also like a way so that they would be less attractive and less of a target. Um, so there's like, this stuff's really yeah intense yeah uh, we've, we've got the two 11 year olds and that's like one of my biggest like fears you know yeah so yeah yeah so, that's very real like yeah so that just to you know kind of it, it, it like not all trauma responses lead to things like obesity or addiction or but they do they look nice on the surface like someone who's got a super strong work ethic aka workaholic mm -hmm. someone who uh, works out like religiously aka they're obsessed about working out mm -hmm. they're addicted to it. and people joke like haha uh -uh. well there's worse things to be addicted to but so does, let's it, say, it, does yeah. it own you or do you own it yes so you let's know? say you do find the, uh, I have two really big questions yeah. and, and here's the time just for reference for everybody because these two questions yeah. I feel like are huge so let's say you recognize that you're like okay I'm seeking approval from the dad that left me or something mm. to that nature right and you're working 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 you're making all that money you're getting all the success you have this great network and everything and then you realize and you you get that breakthrough where suddenly that those chains or that emotional pressure of that, like just drops. Often, I've, I've seen this happen to mm -hmm. friends, this has happened to me, mm -hmm. where once that pressure is gone, <laughs> you do nothing. Yeah. Where's the harmony? How, I'm, I'm assuming mm -hmm. there's like programs out there where they help you reintegrate once you've like dropped these things because then you become that's kind of a non-functional adult in different ways. That's why you want to work with trauma-trained expert because then that'll help you reintegrate and... Um, okay, so the process is awareness. Yeah. For Like as an individual, it's awareness. Yeah. And then it's there's learning and navigating like all the different, the matrix that you're building, right? Yeah, there's, being trauma-informed is understanding how, what trauma is, what trauma responses are and having accurate language that, that, that helps people um, get back to a place of regulation. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not like a modality to resolve their trauma, it's just to keep, stay within healthy and safe boundaries. Yeah, so that's like the education portion, mm -hmm. portion and starting to like and, recognize and, how it's affecting and you. That's something where you would want therapists and doctors and teachers and mm -hmm. uh, caregivers and counselors to be trauma informed. Yeah. And then the third step is the actual, the actual whatever you find is going yeah, to end up helping yeah. you get rid of whatever the symptoms are. Yeah. 
and then kind of start to build the resilience back up and choose who you want to be going mm-hmm. forward, right? right? So like I said, like there is a benefit to the thing that happened where now I have the ability to turn it That's on and off. That's what I was going to say, yeah. Like I, I, the last thing I would want for listeners to walk away from is this, is that like, well, why would I resolve my trauma if it means I'm going to, like not everyone ends up in this abyss where they like, well, now they do nothing. Um, because my experience is that then people have the choice and they realize like, well, I don't have to work out anymore and I'm still fit. I don't have to look like Schwarzenegger in order to, cause that's like pushing away from something, you know? And it is, I will say it is, it is a, a bridge to cross because like Damon John has that book, the power of broke. Mm-hmm. And my friend John Morrow, who I think would be fantastic to have on this, uh, he's paraplegic. He has a rare form of muscular dystrophy, and he gets gets around with a tube that he blows into his very expensive wheelchair, uh, like Stephen Hawking style, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but for him, a big breakthrough was realizing that he had built his wealth and his network and his like everything around him because he was running away from, like he has two or $300,000 in medical bills every month, no matter what, and he lives in a nice house. So just like, but if he made more than $35,000, then he wouldn't qualify for Medicare. Interesting. Yeah, so he was, so he had to make that big leap and then he did it. And one day he realized in one of our think tanks, cause he was one of our speakers, our group of speakers basically helped him realize, and he talks about this publicly or I wouldn't, you know, mm-hmm. but helped him realize that um, making the jump from running away from not having Medicaid pay for his stuff and being able to take care of himself was a lot more easy than it was to now build off of what he wanted without that tiger chasing him. Wow. Makes sense? Yeah. Wow. So I got to ask this question. Yeah. You're learning about all of this. Mm -hmm. And of course you learned about it little by little by little, but then you had this coach, you did this big program and then somewhere along that journey, you were like, this is the thing. Truth is the thing that I'm working on. What's the process been like for your wife and for your daughter in these conversations? It's funny you say that because one day I started, I had so much anxiety about what, where, how I was going to, you know, pay for, pay myself, like this coaching thing that I had signed up for, I was just like, and I knew I had to make some big decisions. And one thing I did is I just started asking myself a bunch of really hard questions from this book by Keith Cunningham called, uh, the road less stupid. And I don't know if you've read it, but it's phenomenal. It's basically just at like an hour of in- introspective, really high quality questioning. You spend like 30 minutes just writing quality questions and you'll know when you hit on one because all of a sudden like solutions come, possibilities come that are real and that like, but it, it's kind of like Cal Newport's deep work. Like you keep asking and asking and asking. And one of the questions that came to me was, I got to the point where I would text my wife and daughter saying like, Hey, I'm having a trauma response. Like, don't worry about me. If I was crying, like ugly cry, like yelling, screaming, beating the shit out of my couch, like in my office. But I needed to go through that to experience some things. But one of the big things that I realized was that I was externally 
motivated in the realm of business and family. Internally, intrinsically motivated when it came to fa uh, f uh, fitness, when it came to faith, and when it came to friends. I know who I wanted as friends. I knew what I, my connection to like higher power, my connection to um, my, my health was internal. But when I saw how externally driven I was by way of my finances and my family, it literally brought me to my knees. Because that was something that was completely outside of my awareness. But when I asked that question, I wasn't going to lie to myself. And when I answered honestly, it broke me. And when I, but when I, then I knew I had to do some things. And when I made those changes, that's when the money started to come. Because then it was like, <sighs> I felt like I broke chains. And then, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm a big believer that like, so let me, I, I gotta ask you this now too. What, oh, so my, oh, okay. So, so. My, my wife and daughter just, they've been like total player, like team players along the way. My, I have the best wife ever. Like when I came inside and told her I had signed up for this coaching program, she just said, well, if that's what you think is the best for us, then great. So like, wow. kudos to Holly. Yep. Yep. So, uh, so two questions. Yeah. Have you worked with them on anything, especially your daughter? I feel like because again, a hundred percent of people have trauma. Yeah. Have you had these conversations with her? I have, and but I haven't. Like it's not. Someone has to come to this on their own. Like mm -hmm. you can, you know, show someone about this. But like, yeah, it, it's a very sensitive thing. When someone's trauma informed, they know this. Like rattling someone's cage to say hey you've got this trauma like that mm -hmm. you can re-traumatize them and cause double damage mm -hmm. and then your wife has she come to you with anything she we're we've started doing some work together yeah we're doing yeah. an emotional intelligence leadership training right now together awesome awesome yeah, it's like, that's amazing yeah and then what were some of the more powerful questions that you asked yourself because you said you just kept writing questions and questions and questions and which led to external and intrinsic motivations and then the fitness one I'd love to ask about as well but what were some of the other most powerful questions that you ask yourself or, or recommend if other people are in seeking like I'm always in seeking yeah like one, powerful of, one, one of the most ask. powerful ones that I remember asking is what am I pretending not to know um, mm. and then really being honest with myself like what do I really like I, I'm pretending like I don't know but I, I really fucking know what was an answer for you that was one of them okay that, that I'm that I'm externally motivated and you know Warren Buffett calls intrinsic versus external externally driven I I wanted to believe that I was more internally driven than I was and so when I went deeper on that uh, another one was what is out of all of these questions, what is the one one question that matters more than all of the rest of them? And that was one that drove me to that as well. It was like, it was like I wrote all these questions mm -hmm. and, um, you know, others were about uh, friendships and business partnerships 
and I did not like the answers to some of these mm-hmm. um, because there's comfort and familiarity and there's the illusion of safety in familiarity and so when that illusion is shattered it's very uncomfortable um, those are some examples um, I, I think at a meta level that anybody could apply but um, I would say just you know pick up the road less stupid and that'll give you kind of a more yeah that being said what are what are like if you just started rattling off like what are books kind of in and around these topics that are good for like basics like if someone's like hey I know I've got some stuff yeah what what are some of the books that I could look into that I might be interested in the body keeps, the body keeps score the I mean, body keeps the score yeah, yeah um there's there's so many um I would say um Gosh, like there's some that I'm just starting to read. I have friends in the industry and in the space that I go to and collaborate with. So they kind of are feeding me information and I feel kind of like I'd rather get you a list that we can put. What about, um, so some of like the people you brought up in the digital marketing space, Uh what about uh, other people that are just like influencers or YouTubers or things like that where I'm just kind of wanting to like look around and see who are some of the people that you like that are not going to like trigger people, but are like, if you're already interested in wanting to dive deeper, who are some of those favorites other than yourself? Oh yeah. 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 Um, depends. I mean, I feel like there's so, I know so much about that industry that you like, are you talking about like if somebody wants to become a YouTuber? No, Uh, no. So let's say like, as an example, just mm -hmm, me, mm -hmm. right. Where I'm like, okay, I have a lot of people in my life that have a lot of trauma. And like, I've got my own and I'm like, okay, I'm very aware of that. I've, I've dealt with a lot of people who have their own stuff. I've dealt with a lot of my own. Who do you recommend that I would go and like search on YouTube or on Instagram if I just want to consume oh. some content? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, uh, Gabor Mate. Okay. Uh, I would say, uh, Will Reason. Okay. Um, his stuff is phenomenal. Will and Ariana. Um, I would say uh, Peter Levine's work is, I mean, it's a little more technical. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can kind of follow those rabbit, awesome. you know, the, yep. those, we'll do. The, those, those breadcrumbs. Um, yeah, it's, and it's a long, deep rabbit hole. It's a forever rabbit hole, hence like bigger than potentially the Bezos move, right. as you mentioned in the beginning. Yeah, it, it actually makes me feel a little like overwhelmed because I'm still so new at it, yes. but I see it and I can't unsee it. And it's, it's one of the things that Shannon helps me with a lot is like, this isn't like, Oh, I'm going to put up a, 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 a blog or I'm going to build a marketing funnel or yeah, it's, it, it can be very unnerving at times, mm. but that's a big, big project. I love it. That's inspiring. Yeah, one of the things Will and I are working on is uh, the placeholder name uh, is uh, Truth Talks, although there's somebody else that has a really great podcast called Truth Talks, but instead of TED Talks, which is technology, education, and design, it would be a platform for people to talk about their trauma, and if we could have like the Joe Rogans of the world, the Elon Musks of the world, the uh, Jeff Bezos of the world talk about the big traumas that they've overcome and how that's allowed them to build 
or the ones they haven't overcome or, yeah. or right yeah. like all these things yeah, yeah to just normalize it so that because if our leaders our influencers our our heroes are willing to and able to talk about their traumas uh in a, in a, in a presentation like they would do like a ted talk yes and our vision is to have like trauma-informed and trauma-trained experts that can coach them through it and get them to because a lot of my trauma is like the things i've talked about on this you know, here i would not have felt comfortable talking about earlier it's like once you say it once and you're like oh i can talk about that it's like you know uh lewis house talks about having been raped as a, as a boy like like and but once you get it out there it just just becomes like no big deal you know well yeah yeah so I, I, let me ask you before we before we go into like closing everything yeah. uh, are there any like big statements or big thoughts or big quotes you want to leave us with before I ask you the last question mm. which we're totally so, doing around yeah, two yeah. now by the way yeah, yeah. okay a lot of so, ideas. so um this is something I'm gonna paraphrase from from Keith Cunningham, mm -hmm. but it's it's part of what what opened this up, and that is a problem by definition has a solution. A problem without a solution is a predicament, and the problems that we're facing that if we don't address as a race, we're we're not gonna make it out alive um including things like seaspiracy including things like all the issues I, I mentioned earlier no one is addressing a solution so if we don't start looking at truly what what's the problem and what is the solution like no one's looking at solutions it's, it's, a big, it's a big, big, big problem, right? I think there's certain people looking at aspects of the solutions. You know, uh, Marissa Peer is a good friend and she does like a lot of big work and is going like really big with like the hypnotherapy space, but beyond that as well into like making it a more regular thing where there's like tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of trained people dealing with these types of things. But mm -hmm. like you mentioned at the beginning, like this is a, this is a 7.8 billion person thing where if we're going to evolve as a species and like not repeat the mistakes of the past, like these things will, will continue to repeat until yeah. we start to resolve these things for everyone mm -hmm. generationally. So I'm, I'm really inspired because I do feel like you plus so many of these other people that are trying to do these things, but they do need like a super connector maybe mm -hmm. who's going to like unite all of these people trying to do this work yeah. so that we can do it not just on the scale of millions, but on the scale of billions. So when people fall in love with you, when they watch this and they want to learn more, yeah. like where can they find you? Where can they support you? Like how do they sure. find you? Um, I've currently got a, a very simple landing page for truth called truthconversations.com up. Um, uh, like my, like I don't have like a personal web page, but, um, because it's, you know, I had the agencies I still have them, but they're just kind of like running with my team. Um, but that's not a lot of what we talked about here. So I doubt someone would want to go there. Um, 
I'm not really active on social media, but if somebody wanted to reach out to me, they could and would give my email address or you you could you could yeah there could be people that want to contact you especially about support and doing yeah. similar things yeah um i'll just i'll do uh david at simply the coolest.com simply the coolest yeah no way that's amazing yeah, let's let's uh let's hope that yeah I, I i usually only give that out professionally but i i feel confident that the folks will be listening to this or are people that would be more uh yeah, they're not going to be spammers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's open prayer. Well, thank you so much for coming thank on. You. I know so much more about you now. And we have so much more to talk about. So, so hopefully we'll get around to and at some point a lot more interesting conversation to be had. But I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to what you're going to make and seeing like how I can play a role and connect with the right people. So thank let's you. go. Let's do this. Thank you.